Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. No one ever listened to me. Like, I never felt I had anything to say or respected in any way that I could have a, any word. So, for me now, I make sure that my kids have a right to tell me. Either it's good or it's not bad. They have a right to tell me. So, I want to hear them, you know. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Attentive Fatherhood on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Bradley Hasemeyer, and this is the podcast for all us dads out there just trying our best. Hey fathers, how you doing? How's your day going? How's your week going? How's your life going? So thankful that you're here listening. Season two has been awesome. We've had some amazing interviews. If you're just jumping in here with this episode, I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of the others. Uh, Like I said, we're on season two. So you got seven or so interviews from season one to pull from and some more for season two. So, uh, but if you are a regular, thanks for being regular. You know what I mean? Thanks. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for being here. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you guys to Peter Mudabazi. Now, Peter is this guy I met through social media. Um, I was looking for, I was, I was working on another dad show at the time, and we're looking for good people to be on there, and someone suggested him. He is known as Foster Dad Flipper on Instagram. He's got a huge following on social. Uh, on YouTube, he's under the Now I Am Known. Um, that's his channel. His videos get two, three, four, five hundred thousand views. So clearly there are people uh, on YouTube and, and throughout the world, for that matter, going through what he's going through as foster parents. He also has an e-book. He's been on major news networks talking about his life. You've seen him on Today's Show, Good Morning America, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe even on your social feed with other people sharing his videos. And he is awesome. Now, for dad stats, it's a little bit complicated for Peter. Uh, he lives in Charlotte, but he's originally from Uganda. He is a single dad who is a foster parent. Now, the word foster parent or foster kid or whatever, I think kind of gets thrown around a little bit. When we were doing research before adopting Loic, we were kind of wondering, do we go the foster route? Do we go private, domestic? Do we go international? So we were kind of sorting all these out. Um, and so, you know, my understanding through my research and my conversations really with a number of foster parents in the past has been that to be a foster parent, um, essentially you are there to create a safe place for a child while their parent or parents, whatever the situation is, are working through some stuff. Obviously, it's a lot more complicated than that, but essentially, you are a safe harbor. Now, Peter uh, has been creating this safe space uh, for almost five years now, and he's had 16 kids come through. Now, what's crazy about this is a child can be placed for a few weeks or a few years, and you don't really know how long that's going to be, which can you even imagine? I mean, the the dynamic of that in parenting would make things more difficult, but at the same time, maybe not. Like you still have your, you know, the way that you parent and the things that you want to, you want to give to your own children. And he's doing that as well. Uh, He currently has a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old. And the 15-year-old, he officially adopted. That's his son, Anthony. That happened a few years ago. And Anthony's story alone could be an entire episode. Uh, Briefly, he was left by his adoptive parents. He was in the foster care system. He was adopted at 
age, I think, four or something like that. And then at age 11, those adoptive parents just left him at the hospital and never returned, which is like crazy, right? Uh, So Peter stepped up and was like, yes, I'm a foster parent. You know, he can stay with me until things get sorted. And then he realized, I think this is his forever home. So he eventually adopted him and they are quite the pair on Instagram. Now, clearly you're thinking, oh my gosh, Bradley, I I was looking for like lighthearted conversations here about, you know, uh, dads telling their sons, uh, you know, about the sex talk or whatever. This is not a super heavy episode. I know you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is gonna be heavy. It's not. Peter is so funny. He's so charming. He has an accent. And if you've seen him on Instagram, he looks like Idris Elba. So just imagine that we're having a conversation with Idris Elba because this dude is is such a superhero. Uh, his wisdom extends, I would say, to parents of all types. Like whether you are a single parent or you're not a single parent, whether you're a foster parent or you're not a foster parent. And that's why I really wanted to talk to him because I knew what he would say would be things, a combination of he's struggling and doesn't know. And also this is what he's doing. And that really worked well. So I love that about him. He also talks about his life as a street kid in Uganda. Now this is, this is a pretty serious subject. He gets a little bit choked up when I asked him, you know, if you could go back and tell that kid something, what is something that kid needed to hear anyway, but he talks about wanting to tell that kid you have value and you are known and about the man in his life who did that, which I thought was fascinating, the family that pulled him off the streets. A really cool story there. He also talks about why he hates driving. I asked him if you could get rid of any of the normal chores, he picked driving and he's got a great reason why. And also why you should send him a pizza. (laughs) I think we could all use a pizza, but he could really use a pizza. So get ready for some insight, some wisdom, and some really funny stories because this week, Attempting Fatherhood is Peter Mutabasi. All right, so let's see. First off, I got to say thank you for people who don't know, obviously, because they weren't here with us. We just had like a 20-minute tech issue. So thanks for sticking around with me and being here through it. (laughs) Appreciate you. Now, you live in Charlotte, right? Yes, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been here for three years. Three years. And uh, what's Charlotte like? Well, Charlotte, so I was living in Oklahoma before, you know, it's, living in Oklahoma is like living on the table, on a flat table, you know. So coming to, to North Carolina has been beautiful, gentle rolling hills, green, rains for weeks and days, uh, you know, so it's beautiful. Uh, you know, three hours to the ocean, four hours to Atlanta, you know, six hours to D.C. So it's really uh, a cool place to live that you can be anywhere, anytime. And is that a major part of kind of how you are raising uh, the kids that come through your house? Some of them obviously are staying, but are you a very active dad? Let's get out. Let's go to the ocean. Let's go to the woods. Or is it a lot of, you know, let's let's just try to manage this massive group of humans. Let's all stay indoors. Let's read. Let's do, you know, how does how does that factor into your parenting? You know, the last one year and a half almost, that's been more of a indoor parenting. You know, we couldn't go anywhere. And of course, for, for me, as foster parent, foster kids, you, you're restricted where you can go. So right, that's can, true. Yes, before you can go anywhere, they want to know what's the percentage of COVID there. No, right, we can go, you know, right, right. Uh, so I've been restricted mainly parenting within my city and within my house. You well. approach this in a in a different way, I think, because of the foster element. Uh, so I'm really excited how you, you know, some people think, well, fathering or, or being a father is just being around, which is great. But a lot of the kids who come into your sphere of influence are around and then they're gone. And that's kind of the role that you uh, have chosen and are so good at. So how would you define fatherhood? 
Mm, how would I define fatherhood? Also, for me, I'm originally from Uganda, you know? So then there's a cultural difference of where I come from, how I was raised, and where I live now. You know, I come from a world where I think I watched my mom be being not treated well, and my sister, you know, that they were always third-class citizens in a way. And I didn't like that, you know, just because of who they were. So I think as, as I was growing up and I didn't have a good relationship with my dad, I really disliked everything he did, you know, and I wanted to be a different kind of a dad in some way. You know, a dad that will help, uh, a dad that will be there, a dad that will be tender, a dad that will... You know, I think I understood that my mom was everything for me. So why can't I be also everything to my kid in some way, you know? So so trying to not, not define roles, you know, or aspects of us as dad, you know, but I can be a cool dad uh, who, who can take emotions, but also who can be gentle and tender in, in ways that moms can be, you know? that For me, that's how I define uh, dad. Like, there's no... There are no boundaries, there are no uh, stats, there are no principles, there are no values. When it comes to the needs of a child, that I can provide 100% in every way, shape, form. Uh, so that's kind of my style. And I'm a single single guy, so in some way it's not like they have a, two parents that they can look at a mom and then a dad. I'm just right. everything, you know? Yeah, totally. How do you see, how if you took your dad style, what you do and how you've been doing it, and you dropped yourself back in Uganda... Would that be very accepted and people are like, wow, look at him go, that's great? Or would there be a lot of pushback? Like, that's not what men do. How would that be received in, in that Ugandan uh, culture? There'll be pushback, you know, and, and disrespect as well. So, you know, some cultures, men are not allowed to go to the kitchen, you know, or even step in the kitchen. And I was like, wow. That know? would be a real problem at our house. We would just starve because Kirsten does not cook. That's me. Exactly. You know, all the cleaning, all being tanned and having your kids on your back. Like, you know, some men just don't do that, you know? And also men have, men have created that. And so women have taken on those responsibilities that sometimes uh, they've kind of taken it as a way of life. So if, we, if I was a male and I tried to do that, they're kind of like, what's wrong with you, you know? That they will question uh, my manhood by being in the kitchen. Um, you know, so yes, it's a different culture. Um, well, it's it's pretty cool that you have found a fit for who you truly are in a place that allows you to be that way, you know, to be able to kind of flourish in that independence and the, you know, that that passion to be able to provide these multiple levels that maybe wouldn't be, you know, uh, so accepted like you were talking about. Right. And I think all my life I've always been against the, you know, the norm, you know, uh, uh, People say, get married and then have kids. To me, I'm like, well, but I can be a dad <laughs> if I get married, you know. Uh, in some way, uh, always trying to, not oppose, but in some way embrace what comes with every role. Yep. You know, that this is not for gender B, this is not for gender C. Like, hey, if I can be, uh, play that in every kind of role that I can do. But I think for me, not having a good dad, I didn't have a, a good dad that was there that, even told me what a what a dad stereotype dad is, you know. So even mom was there, but she was just struggling to 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 make her survive in some way. That I saw how she she did on the little things she tried to do so we can make it in life, you know. That I think for me, I turned it what I longed for to be the things that I get to do. Make sense? Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, it was it was you know almost kind of like 
the uh, your 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 goals, your dreams, whatever your vision was for being a dad was birthed out of the absence of those things. I'm missing tenderness. I'm missing compassion. I'm missing these things. I want to be that for someone else. Is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. You know, and and two, you know, being in a foster care, you know, we know 100% of our kids come with trauma no matter where they come from. And I think that's the same background that I came from, that I I had so much trauma as a street kid. I had trauma having an abusive dad. So I think for me, playing what I missed as a kid or what I longed for, what I wanted. So, for example, I never had, no one ever listened to me. Like, I never felt I had anything to say or respected in any way that I could have a, any word. So for me now, I make sure that my kids have a right to tell me. Either it's good or it's not bad. They have a right to tell me. So I want to hear them, you know. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Uh, I, Yes, I didn't have someone to, in some way, to really tell me it was going to be okay tomorrow, you know? And I longed, like, I wish I knew that I had hope for tomorrow, that I know our kids kind of somehow somehow come with those tendencies, I don't know what's tomorrow, but to truly live in a world where I'm affirming them, hey, I'm here for you. I think tomorrow will be okay. But how did, who did you look toward and say, like, I like what's going on over there. I kind of want to adapt that into my life when I become uh, a father. Right. So from the age of two zero to uh, 16, you know, I, I, I was from the abusive family, uh, poor to the poorest. And then at a, between 10 and 16, I ran away and became a street kid. So on the streets, I was more treated like garbage, more like a stray animal. Like I didn't matter. There was nothing in life that I could long for you know, hopeful. Right, so, right. So you may I as mean, well be dead. Like you're here, but you don't exist. Forget compassion and tenderness. You're just, you're nothingness. You're, you're nothing, you're nothing. So when I met a stranger who saw me and my lowest and took me in, I think that's when I began to really see myself as a human being. But also he really set the standard for what family was. So I hadn't, you know, I never talked to my dad face to face, but he was willing to sit across the table and talk to me. I'm like, man, is this guy for real? You know? <laughs> now he's you know, Ugandan as well. He was a family who lived yeah, in, in near you. Okay. Yes, he's Ugandan as well. You know, but he had compassion towards me. You know, when I first went to his home, I saw them sitting on the table and eating. I'm like, is that real or is it a show for me? Then I realized that. <laughs> Where are the flying. cameras? You're looking around like, okay, this is clearly not real. Right. Also, he never told me to do anything, but he always did something and bring me alongside. So for me, which was really cool, that he acted what he wanted me to do rather than tell me what to do, you know? Uh, So for me, he set the standard of what a parent should be. And I think that's where I began to say like, you know what? I love how he parents. I love how he talks to me, you know? So I no one had ever said any kind or any affirmation words towards me, you know? So for the first time, he wanted me to sit in the car and he asked me to sit in front of the in front seat. So I said, no, I don't deserve to sit there. And he looks at me and he's like, why? He said, Peter, you're special. You, wow. And I was like, wait, you mean it? So by, by the acts he did, by the little things that he, he saw what I lacked and always came through to remind me of how special I was. That really helped me. And I think that's where I gleaned or learned how to be a dad. Hey dads, real talk for just a second here. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but my bathroom routine used to look like a bar of soap and some shampoo slash conditioner combo from the 99 cent store. But now I'm in charge of small people's lives. I think I can do better than that. 
Thankfully, the team at Bird is here to help. Now, these guys have won awards from Men's Health and GQ. I've been using their products for more than a year now, and I'm so impressed. Their products use a ton of naturally derived ingredients, which actually makes a difference if you're going to be slopping lotion all over you and washing your face. I mean, your skin is full of pores. Do you want chemicals and stuff just being soaked into your body? No, of course not. They have a body wash, which I love. It's got sea kelp and green tea and aloe vera, and it's it's just amazing all the stuff that they've got in there. Now, to support Attempting Fatherhood and dads like you and me, they're offering 15% off with the code BIRDAF for Attempting Fatherhood. Now, I'll put the link in the podcast notes to make it easy, but it's awesome because that supports the show, and you get a great deal, and you make your life that little bit better. Okay, now back to the show. Did he ever say, like, when you become a dad, these are things, like, was it ever that, or was it mostly just demonstrating it, and you learned from watching? Yes, most of them demonstrate. But also, I adored him. I said, man, this stranger who can love me and want the best for me, I, I want to know what ticks. I want to know how it works. So by observing uh, to someone who was, you know, kind and 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 really towards me, that really gave me a glance to say, that's the guy I want to learn from, you know? What's something that he did that, that you remember specifically? I think that, that car example is so great and so powerful. Uh, is there another moment or a, th- or a characteristic of him that really stands out above the rest that you're like, this, I learned so much from this, I'm definitely using this as a, as a dad? Yes, so... You know, I grew up in a home where we had never sat on the table and ate as a family, you know. So, but also when I went to his family, I always saw myself like, I don't deserve to sit on the dining table. I don't. Well, yeah, don't because people have been telling you you're nothing for years. For so how are you going to just instantly going to believe it? Yeah, of course not. Right? So I would hesitate to sit on the dining table. But he always said, Peter, you have a seat at the dining table. I mean, that probably is the most thing that changed my life because he made me sit like his sons and daughters and wife and he made sure that I was included in the conversation they were having you know so he would always ask you know what was the what was your day you know what was high and what was low and I was like man is he serious you know? <laughs> the highest was just now when you said my name uh, the lowest was uh, earlier when I woke up and thought this whole dream is going away I mean when did you finally say okay this is real I'm accepted I'm here I'm in this family or did you always have a bit of hesitation like the shoe's going to drop. This this mirage is going to go away. They're going to kick me out. Correct. It was too good to be true for all my... I mean, you know, I was with there until I was 25. But every day, that's how I felt like. Wow. Is this true? Or, you know, the sense of I, I, I belong, but I don't belong, you know? Uh, or at um, their mercy, like any time they can take the mercies away. So that's kind of where, you know... Um, how I lived with them. I'm, I'm, I can't fault them, you know, but mo- it's more to do with the trauma that I had to go through. The trust, the belief that I could be part of their family, you know, that I acted like I was part of, but inside I think there was that sense of fear that anytime it's going to go away, anytime it's going to go away, anytime they're going to pull apart. Or if I messed up one thing, then I'll be worried for hours and hours and days because I Almost like being on parole. Like you're like, okay, I'm not in jail. I'm very close, and if I make one mistake, I could be in jail. So it's it's just it's got to be that had to be exhausting. 
Yes, but it, it became part of who you, what I live or who I was then that I, I didn't know how to switch it off. You know? Right, of course not. To, yeah, you're a kid still. Uh, to turn off. So for me, that helped me how I was parents. So now, you know, in our house, our most common place we all sit is the kitchen, you know, because that's how I learn, but also how I include my kids to feel like they're, you know, being in their bedroom, being in the video games, I'm not sure they feel so, but in the kitchen, you know, where I can say, hey, could you steer those eggs for me? You know, could you cut that onion for me? Could you, you know? And it's now a tendency that that's kind of where they hang out. Or if they want to talk to me, they come yeah. to the kitchen. Because I love that's some, that. That's something I learned from, uh, you know, my foster parents. I love that you've set the kitchen up to be this safe space. You know, one of the dads that we had on here, a guy named Gar, um, he has a 20-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old daughter, I believe. And uh, he was saying, I was asking him, like, were there any rules that your dad had that maybe you didn't know, but as you got older, you learned? And he said one of them was at the kitchen table, there was no um, negative talk, meaning if even if you got in detention that day, you got kicked out of school, when you're sitting at that dinner table, it's a safe space and no one can say, well, you heard what he did today. He got kicked out of school. None of that. Everybody was safe at the table. Now, when you left the table, all bets were off. But keeping the dinner table as a safe space. And he said, you know, he didn't even know it at the time that his dad kind of had that rule. Um, but he looks back on it and recognizes how powerful that was to have that space. And it sounds like that's kind of what you've done with your kitchen in general. Correct. Yes. To, to make them feel safe, to make them feel um, that they can truly be vulnerable at the same time, uh, be around me in, in a way. You know, and for our kids who come with trauma, you know, you have to find different angles. Not all angles work for every child, but you you got to find ways on how to to get to them, to help them through. Um, so you, you have to be creative. So for me, yes, I'm creative in, in every shape, form, anywhere, anytime. Okay, let's say you can you can uh, wave a magic wand and all the all the stuff in your life, housework, you know, whatever, bills, uh, cleaning, running errands, one like major task that you could just get rid of that you just hate. You're like, I got to do it, but I hate it. What is that for you? Oh, <laughs> you're like, there's so many. <laughs> How can I pick one? Driving. Yes. Mm -hmm. Driving. Driving. Cause it's just, you got to drive everywhere you go. Yes. And I'm the only driver. And even if I'm to pick up the smallest thing from the store, I have to take the entire gang. Well, the older ones stay, but I cannot leave the two little ones behind, you know? So it's a war everywhere we go. It's getting in the car, it's getting out of the car, getting in, stores. You're rolling your head and rolling your eyes. That is, that is the physical expression of what every parent feels when, like you just said, you got, you're like, ah, we have to have a lime. For the, for the grocery, we have to go, all right, everybody in the car, we're making tacos tonight and we forgot a lime. I'm, I've just become someone that's like, we're just not going to have limes. That's just how it goes. We're not going to eat if it takes this much. Yes, but milk, I cannot live without milk. Really? That's kind of your thing? Milk, yes, because, you know, they, they drink milk like they drink water. Milk cereal. So it's the one common food or drink that helps me at all. You know, they can have one snack, but they don't say with water. Can I with milk? Sure, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm not eating those vegetables. I want milk. Okay, you know. Okay, that's uh, funny. So, so, so driving, I think for me. And the battles, the fights, you know, when you're in a confined place, when they want to yell at you, whew, um, it's not like I can open that door and run away. No, 
how do you how do you explain what you do when you meet other people and then you see them at the park not recently because of covid and stuff but you know and it's like oh yeah those are my kids over there do you get kind of like a second look like i'm confused and and how deep into that explanation do you go well yeah i think it's everywhere we go it's every day everywhere we go i think most time they they're looking they out they look at me they're like you know hmm he looks different the kids or why I wonder what he's doing with them you know when we go to the park the same I think they, they I'm sitting there like what is that guy why is he sitting here I mean he has no child here and then all of a sudden they hear kids dad come over here they're like wait is that your child yeah <laughs> usually, yeah totally they usually don't ask me I think they just look at with amazing you know an amazement face like what is that your dad you know and sometimes it's in, the, in a rude way you know like yes, yesterday we were at Casco you know at Casco you, you can't give the food to the kid the test food they test the free right. food you give if it's a kid they have to have the parents there so the kids are like can we go have some I'm like sure so I'm standing there and the lady says hey I cannot give you food until you go call your parents and my kids both at the same time they yelled but he's right here Wow. Well, because he... And that's not her fault. That's just an assumption that she's making based on her experience at Costco, I imagine. Uh, absolutely. I think she's just so, well, there's a black guy here with two white kids. I mean, can be their parents, can he? Uh, so he asked them to go and they were just mad, like, he's right here, you know. But for the kids, I, I don't think they think beyond, they just, they know you, dad, that's it. Yep. There's nothing. There's, so this person was a little bit like, Oh no, what did I, what did I do? So in those instances, do you feel like explaining yourself fully? Cause we have an adopted son, Loic, he's black, he's one. And then we have a kind of foster daughter through kinship care a little bit, who's 25. And anytime we go places, uh, especially with Ashley, who's, who's 25, she'll be like, oh, my dad's coming to pick me up. She works at Chick-fil-A or something like that. So drive, pick her up. And, and she's like, my dad's here. And they're like, where's your dad? And I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Ash, come on. And there's just kind of like this. Uh, and some people say, oh, how many kids do you have? And I say, well, I have three kids. And then you know, I have a foster daughter. But then it's like, how deep do I go into that explanation? Some people truly don't care. They're just asking because they feel like it's polite. And some people do. Do you find that hard to figure out that balance of like, let me educate this random person on the foster care system versus just like, we got places to go. These are my kids. Goodbye. You know, so like that one, I really had to educate her. Like, hey, it's okay to ask me, are you their father? Like, don't, I don't look like him for sure, but to educate her, like, hey, it's okay to ask. So it would be better you ask than dismissing me as a dad, you know? Uh, and I was also polite. I say, if I was white and they were, would you? You know, would you yeah, ask that? Yeah, of course you not. Know? Because they, it's common. They get to see that often, but they don't see my, you know, and she apologized. But I just made sure that, like, next time, just ask. It's okay. It's okay to ask me, you know. In some places, they are just staring, you know. They're just yeah. looking, just kind of like, uh, and, and for me, it's even harder because it's everywhere, you know. We could be driving and, you know, the, the windows are open and the kids are calling, dad, dad. And someone listening to them is like, what? Who? What? that I think I would, you know, I'll be really tired if I had to explain that every day, you know? Boy, yeah, I imagine that stuff. You think that's hard for them? Like, they are, are they kind of like, why do people not just connect us? Or, are they, or, you know, are they savvy enough to know, okay, this is not most people's experience? So no, for them, they know you as dad. That's it. You're, and that's kind of, you know, it's kind of really cool for me. Like, they, 
They know you, you're the safest person. They know you're the one taking care. They know you're the one responsible. So for them, they don't care. They don't even think through all that. You know, they, you know, yesterday we were at the restaurant and they are just jumping over my head everywhere. But for me to see them that they don't really see, you know, of course they know I'm black for sure that, but, but rather they focus on my office as a dad, dad, he's our dad. Um, and he will he will do whatever it takes for me. He's my provider, so he's my dad. That's all I can I, I can think about, you know. And I try to focus on that, you know, to really, you know, my calling is to be a foster dad. My calling is to be a dad to these kids. That it's not like I don't care what people think, the outside, but it's not my job to somehow always have to answer their queries, you know. Uh, but but when it comes, I do. When it comes, I do. Would you say that's one of the the more difficult aspects to being a foster parent? Uh, the just the oftentimes racial differences and being in public and you know getting side eyes, or is there something more complex? Because it's got to be hard to have a kid come through, be placed with you for a little bit, knowing that the end game most likely is reunification with their parents or moving somewhere else. Uh, and you've got to lo- just pour your love into them and then they go. Is that the hardest part or is it some of the stuff around it? You know, I think for me, the hard part is the, the trauma, how to help them overcome that. That's usually my the hard part, but also where I try to focus most of my time. Like if I can help them journey through better. You know, going back, I think that I understood that. That was the one thing I had to learn from the beginning. Like, hey, a foster parent is someone who comes in in between when mom and dad cannot do what they are called to do as their parents. But knowing that I will, they will go back home, you know. Uh, But that does not stop me from giving them 110 of my time, 110 of my, you know. But also for me, I parent differently. You know, me, I like to partner with their biological parents. If they are are in the process of going back, like it's better to include in mom and dad, you know. And I'm a single guy. Sometimes it's it's better to call mom and say, hey, he's stuffy. He's, what should I do? You know, and the mom will say, well, do this, you know. But I'm giving the mom 10 seconds of being a parent that, she will listen to me if there's something that I'm learning that I can help her carry on after they go back that they want to know. So for me, that connection is really important to parents with kids, especially when I know 100% they'll be going back home. Yeah, I like that. I've never really considered that part. That's pretty cool that there's that connection to the biological parents as well as you parenting, parenting them kind of in the moment. Was that something that just kind of came up naturally or was that always something from the beginning you were like, I really want this to be a part of how I foster? You know, from the get-go, I think so as a street kid, I would hear people comment about my mom, like what a mother, why would she, you know, let her kid, you know, but that wasn't my mom's fault. You know, it wasn't my mom's fault. You know, the same abuse I was getting, my mom was getting them at the same time. So it it wasn't like she could protect me. We were kind of really helpless in some way. So for me, then, you know, when it comes to foster care, the same way, like, it is not my job to judge where they come from or that parent because, you know, I don't, I don't really know what happened. I wasn't there, you know. Uh, but also understanding sometimes, you know, that you grew up in a foster care, your mom was, and you're 14, 15, you have a baby. No one ever taught you to be a parent. Like, how do you know to parent? How you would know? you know, right? That's how the thing. You know? It's like, you can't judge that. You wouldn't be able to do that at 14. No way. I had six months of training, you know, and I'm educated, but I had to go to classes. I had to learn. I mean, see, and everything about the child, I had an opportunity to learn to be a parent. 
for them, they didn't have one day of lesson that I had. So how do I judge them? You know, how, how do I... How do I really judge them? What kind of advice would you give to come alongside people like yourself? How can, how can we support foster parents? There's one thing I had to learn as a, as a man, you know, that we have a tendency of, I got this, I can do it all, you know? But then I had to learn to be vulnerable. Like when people ask that, I would say, sure, you can bring a meal. But at the same time, it was hard to say yes. What I would say as foster parents, it's not like we, are, we don't want any help or we don't ask, but sometimes we don't know how to ask. You know, we don't know how to. So for me is, if you want to help, don't ask. Don't, when you ask me twice, I'll say no. When you ask me the fifth time, I'll say yes, you know? So just keep at it. Keep at it. Keep, keep, and sometimes, you know, surprise, you know, if you know their kids love pizza, hey, just tell mom, hey, do not cook. I'm dropping a pizza, you know? Uh, even for me as a as a dad for me, I think sometimes I, I, I miss the, the my my adult friends, you know, that sometimes I wish they could say, Hey, do you have thirty minutes for coffee? Sure. Just coffee, not a not dinner, but just yep. a little coffee that I can really get to sit with someone and be able to chat. So uh, but also the other side is it is everyone's responsibility to take part. Yes, some of us are called to be foster parents, but others are called to step in when we need help, to send in that coffee gift card, you know. It takes a village, and I'll say it, be part of the village of that family. Be part of the village of that kid, um, and, and you'll be surprised what you can change. Uh, I'm African, so I don't have friends or families where I live. So my friends, those who bring a meal, are the closest relatives, in a sense, to my kids. Well, I think foster care in general is kind of redefining, by its nature, it redefines family, the, the, the idea of what a family is, because you are now forever a part of these kids' families. Even if they reunify with their parents and, and those parents continue to do what they do, you know, forever you will be a part of their family. So I, I think that makes sense, the idea of a village and, you know, f- friends and family, it's, it's all family. Yes, it's all family. If you could go back to that street kid now being yourself, being who you are, and just sit down and have a coffee uh, with the street kid, or I guess you know he he could have orange juice. How would you talk to to young you, street kid you? Oh man, you know life was really really hard. That you abused every day. You know that you knew you're nobody every day. Uh, the survival was just an hour, like you couldn't dream about the next day. Um, the words you heard, the, the cussings, the, what people used you for. Um, that I would tell him, young me, that it's gonna be okay. Yeah. You know, um, it's all I can say, you know, like, because there was no hope, there was no, there was no one night he would sleep and say, I'll wake up tomorrow, no, it wasn't there. So I would say, it's gonna be okay. I mean, if you sat down and you explained to him, look, in 30 years or 40 years, this is what your life's gonna look like, what, what, what would he react to? How would he react? He would probably say, hell no, no. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, uh, are you an alien? You're talking some crazy stuff right now. Exactly. There's no way. Yes, for me to survive to have a meal was either I steal it from helping someone or someone gives it to me. So 
there was really uh, no way. Even when this man asked me, hey, if you had an opportunity to go to school, would you go to school? I was like, wait, 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 what are we talking about? It's like me telling you broadly, hey, next week they're going to Mars. Do you, do you want to go? <laughs> do you, you want to go? You, you just want to hop go? on? We're just, it's uh, $30 to go to Mars. Like, yes, what? And you go to NASA? Like, do you want to? That's how far-fetched school was for me. Wow. You know that? I can go to school? You mean I'm human? You mean I can? You know? Uh, so that's kind of the world that I, uh, that I had as a kid. No hope. Absolutely. Zero. And when kids uh, either reunify or they're moved out of your kind of trust and out of your home and out of your kitchen, the, the safe space, what is something you hope they leave with? For me, you know, I'm, I'm really open about my childhood, you know, mm-hmm. and helping them like I could have gone the other way, but because someone walked in, I went the other way. I think for me that they will look at my own life and say, you know, if Peter made it, maybe I make it one day. Like, if I can be that standard, that example, that that they can, you know, while they're with me, can go back and say, you know, he was honest, he didn't have a good childhood, but he made it through that maybe I can't. Because when you keep hoping, you get to step in places that will help you get to those, you know, hopeful situations, you know? So for me, if they can keep that, the light, the glimpse of hoping every day, uh, I think that would help. And and what's the experience for your now officially adopted son uh, throughout this process? At least on social, it seems like in a lot of ways, you guys are, are teammates. You seem to work together uh, with new kids who come in, uh, as well as just, you know, kind of around the house kind of things like that. Has that been the experience? Yes. You know, for him, you know, when he came in, he called me dad, you know, in 20 minutes, he arrived at my house. I was like, dude, don't do that. Don't call yeah, me. Be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tease me because that's not true. And then dude, came true. I think for, again, I, the other part I want to share with dads is most of our boys are looking for men, are looking for an, someone that can lead them through. And I think once they find that, it doesn't matter what you do, what, when they find that, when they know you can mentor them through the little life lessons you can't they really give it all they might do the other things as well but there's always you're always the go-to you're always where they come back and say okay i failed here but where do i go next and and what does it look like for you on a normal day quote-unquote normal day you dropping kids at school and and picking them up are you just kind of like uh you know working from home and trying to maintain some semblance of (laughs) mental stability I think sometimes, you know, I get a phone call like, are you available next week? I'm like, next, what's next week? <laughs> like, what does I that can, even mean? Yeah, I can only go through today. Let me go yes, through today. Yes. About next week, do not go there, you know? I think for me, you know, again, being the, the only dad to four kids who go to different schools, you know, I have different doctors, have different, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's wake up and I have the schedule for until the next day I wake up. So if I can go through that, then I am good, you know? I am, I'm a planner, but also I'm, I try not to rely on the plans. But to, as you know, with Fosca, you, you cannot plan and things go the, the opposite way. You know, so having that flexibility mentality has really helped me, uh, you know, with my job. I, I left, you know, I'm working part time with World Vision because I wanted to be a full time dad. Also, I wanted to advocate for kids like, to be able to truly immerse myself in the foster care system, you know understanding, learning, but also inspiring others. So, you know, always leaving room for, for that. And for me, I, I, I spend more time with my kids, you know, 
I don't think I've ever used daycare. Why? Because I, I just want to learn. You know, most of the time I have them for a short time. So right, right. Every I, moment really matters because you don't know. It, it could be what three weeks. It could be two years. Like, is it really that variable? Exactly. I mean, it could be a week, and you're like, wait, what, what, what? You know. So I think for me, I try to spend more more time with them. I, I'm complaining about driving, but I get to learn them more actually when we're driving because they're able to tell you, remind you of things that they. You know, they're triggered and they're like, yeah, we used to go there. We used to like this. Uh, so it's uh, my day today, you know, I mean, I start at 530, you know, and, and I make sure my kids, like little ones go to bed at, by eight. And the big ones, you know, um, if it's school day, school time by 10, you know, and then I have my one hour where I get to rethink and, and think about tomorrow. And then I make notes for tomorrow. So I have that schedule. I'm not big on next week, next, no. Uh, today's enough for me to, to yeah well yeah you can't be I mean that's it's almost it really is we were kind of joking at the beginning like this war analogy like you're on the front lines but I imagine that's like a soldier I mean you know or, or even a general like they can make plans they can figure it out but everything is going to shift you don't know what what the enemy is planning so there's no way to know what what to do so I, I like that you're kind of keeping like a 24-hour day and then we'll approach the next 24-hour day and just kind of taking it as it comes Oh yes, sometimes we're driving to the grocery store and then you you know, uh-oh, it's not gonna be good if you step in that store, you know? They're gonna call the police, oh, someone's gonna mess up that place. So you, you drive back, you're like, ah, let's go get an ice cream, you know? Yeah, so, maybe not today. Maybe wow. not today, you know? So you, you get to learn your kids, you get to know the issues and the traumas come with, and, and that's kind of sometimes how it guides my, my, my Dude, that day. flexibility, I, please, I'm learning that. That is so good. That is so hard for me, because you know what I would do? I'm such a, like, a goal-oriented person, I'm so focused, and so if I have a task, I'm really good at it. Um, and Kirsten is great at reading the room, right? So I can know like, all right, I'm taking Ellis and Loic and we're getting groceries. You know, we get in the car, Ellis is crying, Loic is nuts and he's, you know, pooped in his diaper or whatever. And it's like, I don't care. We're getting bacon and we're getting bread and we're getting, you know, and it's like, there's a helicopter outside and there's, you know, there's hostages inside. I don't care. We're walking in. It's under siege. It's on fire. We're walking in. We're getting hot dog. Like it was just, I can be so focused that I don't take into account the reality of what, what our kids are going through, you know? Um, and, and I think, I think trauma for a lot of people, uh, they think trauma is, has to be a massive, huge thing. You know, my, my parents died in a car crash or like yourself, I was a street kid. And I think certain, I mean, obviously those are traumatic experiences, but I think also kids experience trauma on relative scales multiple times and, and I think in a day, and, and we oftentimes consider like, well, you have a roof over your head and you have food on the table. What could be your trauma? Like, what could you possibly complain about? And I think that even unconsciously, I don't think there's a lot of parents that would just articulate that maybe in a weak moment, but overall, but I think even, you know, the, for my listeners out there who, you know, think, wow, you know, wow, Peter's really doing some awesome stuff, but, you know, I got to go to Costco. And if my kids are having a fit, we just got to deal with it because they're not from trauma. They're not from foster, but they're experiencing trauma too. And we as parents may not be aware of that. And so I love that you're talking into those moments of really listening to your kids because listening to your kids has just as much to do with like really hearing what they're saying 
like the the behind what they're saying, it, sometimes more than the words that they're saying, right? Right. Yes. Yes. They they express what they are feeling by the action they do, but I have to know what they are feeling, and that's that takes energy and tactics to you know really gauge what is going on, you know, deep inside, you know. But but two on the other side is uh, uh, trauma, you know. In, in, in for us who are false parents, sometimes it's they flip the lid and they don't know how to put it back. So if, if a kid is ang- hungry but cannot tell you, but the only way they can tell you is by being tell you the not nice words, you know. But if I focus on the not nice words and then I keep, then I really haven't helped them. So in order for me to get them back to where I need them, I have to help them kind of close that lead again you know like I have to help them close it so we can have a chat we take pictures and we do vlogs and when when one is not happy it's not happening you know because because you want them to where they feel comfortable and where they are and I think that's for most parents that's where we spend most of the time you know that lead is flips and I'm trying to help so I can be able to bring back to where I and them can kind of hear each other. All right, before we before we leave here, not that everything you've said hasn't been an absolute gem uh, and encouraging for fathers, but what is something, if you could just tell all dads out there, uh, leave us with some encouragement? Mm, what would I say? You know, here's what I've learned. Sometimes I want to give them the best shoe, and I realize that it's not the best shoe they want. It's the box, the empty box in the garage that they want to play in. And then I'm like, man, I've been worrying the whole day for that stupid shoe. I know it was the stupid empty box, you know? So I'm learning to see my joy of bringing my kids what they need in the small things, you know? Uh, not in the big things. Uh, at least for me, that that's something I've learned. Like it's it, sitting in the... You know, sitting in their bedroom before they go to bed or they're not having a good time with their friend and say, okay, I'm going to sit here and uh, let me know what I, I can do. And that makes the whole world for them, you know, that it's sometimes it's not the, the, the financial huge things, but sometimes it's the, the really little things that the kids are looking for, time especially time with them. Well, Peter Mutabazi, thank you for attempting fatherhood. Well, thank you. I'm learning from you. So thank you for letting me be part of your village for sure. Likewise. And I'm in your village, man. Love you. Love what you're doing. Love what you're about. And uh, keep on keeping on. Love you too. Say hello to your family. I will. Thanks, buddy. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to Attempting Fatherhood. My whole hope with this is that we build a community that encourages dads and that brings new information to the table and and gets you excited about living your life, doing what you're doing. If you have felt that way, please make sure you rate us on Spotify, on Apple. Just rate us. Give us some stars, hopefully five. And make sure you share this. That's equally important. It's a great way to build community, to share this information with other dads. You know, start a text chain, whatever. That helps us. That helps you. We grow this community and all that. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Attempting Fatherhood. Again, thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.